I'm Mark Beatty. I'm the newly appointed Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. I'm a paediatric gastroenterologist from Southampton. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the January edition. So the first article I'd like to discuss, which is Editor's Choice, is one on upper gastrointestinal bleeding. Acute upper gastrointestinal bleeding is one of the commonest medical emergencies in the UK. 85,000 cases a year, 4,000 deaths. So as a consequence, it has a significant impact on the resources with the need for 24-7 on-call bleeding rotors. Endoscopic therapy is the gold standard of treatment. In this issue, Alzabardi and colleagues discuss non-varicele causes. That's 80 to 90%. The review includes helpful sections on the epidemiology, comorbidities, blood transfusion before endoscopy, risk stratification tools, the optimal timing of endoscopy, common pharmacological therapies, endoscopic hemostatic techniques, and post-procedure management. It's a very helpful, clear and focused review with up-to-date sections on future developments including the role of videocapsule endoscopy, hemospray and endoclot. I would really commend this article for your continuing professional development and as a consequence I've made it editor's choice this month. The second article I would like to highlight is on autoimmune hepatitis. It's a curriculum-based review written by experts in the field. Autoimmune hepatitis is a rare, heterogeneous, immune-related liver disease that in most cases is treated effectively with corticosteroids and azathioprine and has an excellent prognosis although in a proportion, second-line therapeutic options, including transplantation, may be required. In this issue, Jan Mohammed and Hirschfield review the epidemiology, clinical presentation, diagnosis and management, and include a proposed treatment algorithm which includes when to seek specialist advice and then use a case-based approach to discuss clinically relevant dilemmas faced managing the condition. The authors address the clinical competencies described in the 2010 gastroenterology curriculum. In doing that, they provide a well-written, authoritative review for the busy clinician who wants an update on what's new and how best to manage autoimmune hepatitis. We have to focus on improving quality in medicine. That's how we implement the best science to best care for our patients. So the next article I'd like to highlight relates to reducing overfeeding in patients on parenteral nutrition. So we all know that giving too much parenteral nutrition is a potential risk factor in the development of infections and other complications including hyperglycemia, refeeding syndrome and liver dysfunction particularly in patients who are unwell. In this issue, Frank reports the outcome of quality improvement initiatives to reduce overfeeding. Interventions included the use of standardised PN products with lower dextrose to amino acid ratios, 
reduced use of intravenous lipid emulsion, and use of adjusted body weights or guideline recommended equations for energy requirements. In essence, what they describe is a systematic approach to prescribing implemented by the nutrition support team. This was successful. The mean total calorie intake reduced from 30.2 kilocalories per kilogram per day pre-intervention, that's in 86 patients, to 23.4 kilocalories per kilogram per day post-intervention, that's 62 patients. Despite the reduction in calories, amino acid intake was maintained with fewer cases of central line-associated bloodstream infection, hyperglycemia and liver dysfunction. The details in the paper. These findings are important and may assist practitioners in reducing PN overfeeding and its associated risks in their own units. We have to look after the workforce, and this has rightly received prominence in the last few years. In this issue, Gleason and colleagues report the outcome of a questionnaire evaluating stress and its causes in UK gastroenterologists. 567 out of 1,932 responded, so at a good rate of response. 107 out of 567 recorded their stress levels as high. Stress levels were higher in women and in those working full-time. A significant proportion of respondents had seen their GP, attended occupational health, taken planned time off or taken medication in the last 12 months. Ranked causes of stress included excessive clinical work, working conditions beyond control, inadequate information technology systems, work pace, secretarial staff and conflict. Interestingly, conflict was marked top by 9%. One of the real concerns that came from this data set was that talking to someone at work about stress was ranked difficult or impossible by 35%. So how do we at least start to address this? Better awareness and recognition, improved mentoring and practical support, develop strategies to deal with conflict, promote well-being, and a specific provision of better IT and administration support to enable clinicians to better deliver clinical care and help us retain the workforce. The final article I'd like to highlight relates to promoting research. I was very enthused by this. McFarlane and colleagues report the attitudes towards academic medicine and out-of-programme research of two cohorts of gastroenterology trainees, that's 2007-2016, and actually highlight that interest remains high, with most trainees believing research stroke academic medicine is important to the future of the NHS. Higher degrees were the preferred out-of-programme research experience in both cohorts, although there are, are multiple other options available and these are discussed in detail. There were more successful fellowship applications in 2016 than 2007. Most trainees felt that 
the development of trainee-led research networks was important and we're keen to get involved, with 63% holding a current GCP certificate, 64% having published a peer-reviewed publication within the last two years, and 47% having recruited a patient into a CRN portfolio research study. These are very positive findings. In the current healthcare environment, with increased pressures on recruitment and service delivery, we need to deal with potential barriers to out-of-programme activities and support trainees to pursue research-active careers. So on a personal note, I'm delighted to have taken up the role of Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. And I look forward to working with readers, researchers and authors, editors, the BSG and the BMJ to get the best content into the journal. The journal's mission is to help clinicians in their practice by publishing the best of innovation, research, guidance and reviews. We are open to submissions of many different article types including original research, quality improvement, clinical reviews, guideline reviews, education in practice, in, in, in essence people saying how they do things, my approach to, curriculum-based reviews, commentaries, interesting cases with a message, good images, and review of other articles published in other journals. So, thank you for listening, and please contact me if you have a topic you feel we should cover, if you'd like to write for the journal, or if you have any other thoughts about how we should best develop the journal to best help you in your clinical practice. Thank you.